0: About uh, ten people over for a nice uh, party for the Big Ten championship game and uh, plenty of beverages. I smoked. Uh, I smoked a uh, pork butt and some chicken wings. Five pounds of chicken wings, which are friggin' delicious, and I, I enjoyed the game. I-, I-, I had low expectations. I wasn't expecting Iowa to be competitive, um, but weirdly, for a game where you were shut out, <laughs> I'm not gonna say they played well. But they played hard and they played physically. Um, we're in episode seventeen of the rebooted Twelve Saturdays podcast. Uh, it's myself, Tori Brecht, uh, with Joel Kraushaar. And uh, Joel, what did what did you think about about the Big Ten championship game? I mean, it wasn't awesome, but but were you embarrassed? Did you
1: feel bad
0: about the outcome?
1: No, I mean, the physicality impressed me like the the defense just was hitting people and outside of a big special teams play and two really costly turnovers deep in, in Iowa territory uh, that was the, you know, the difference in the game. So that's 21 points right there. So the final score was 26 to nothing. So, I mean, it's, it's, it was one of those games where statistically uh Iowa didn't give up any real ginormous plays on defense. Um JJ McCarthy got sacked I think five times. I think Iowa had five sacks or four sacks.
0: It was four. Uh, it was four and that uh was the most they had in a single game this year. I think they only had 13 total sacks prior to that game.
1: Yeah, I, I mean it was it really Iowa played to what we have known them to be. The offense is lackluster. The special teams, you know, the punt return was big. Cohen Entringer is a star on the meme averse now from the from the hustle play, which.
0: After, after the missed tackle.
1: To well, be clear. No, no, no. I, I, I agreed. Yes. But. I'm watching it with my 12 soon to be 13 year old son. And I'm saying that is football right there. That's football in a nutshell. If you miss an assignment, if the whistle hasn't blown, you have a chance to still make a play. And that's what Entringer did. And he made them have to earn great. Yes. They scored on the next player and second, two more plays, but they still had to do it. And if you give their defense a chance, You've always got a chance, and I think entering is going to play a lot next year. Um, And I think what we saw was there's just not a lot on the offensive side of the ball against a really good defense. That there's just not a lot that Iowa can do, and and that is um, confirmation that the right decision was made a few week uh, a few weeks ago. I feel like. I you know and Beth Beth Gets is catching strays from all over the place these days for making the decision to let Brian go. I think that liberated this team. It gave the it took the drive for 325 and threw it out the window and they could just play and they were what? 5 and 1 after that decision was made and the with the one loss being against the number 1 team in the country uh in the national championship game or in the big 10 championship game so i i was not embarrassed and i have some michigan people in my life who could not believe how hard iowa hits people on the defensive yeah. side of the ball they were nervous they were nervous that one of their big big studs was going to get hurt um because of how physical iowa was on defense <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, I mean, uh, and to be clear, you know, Michigan out-talented Iowa. They they likely would have out-talented Iowa even had Iowa had its first-string quarterback, first-string tight end, and most dynamic playmaker, uh, and Cooper DeGene. It would have been a more competitive game, and Iowa would have had a better chance to win. It might have pulled off an upset, but it would have still been an upset. That's a really damn good Michigan team, and, and at no time did you really feel like Iowa was a threat to score. At least I didn't. Um, it, you know, that drop pick six is what just killed me. I mean, you had the opportunity, the, you know, you talk about killer teams. If Iowa was the one with the big punt return and it had completed that pick six, that was your path to victory. Yep. Um, so, but no, and I thought even the offense played hard. They weren't talent. They weren't good. But, but, you know, I think at one point they showed a uh, Michigan cornerback with like a bloody mouth. Like, I mean, they, they were still, even the offensive line were hitting people with Williams was running hard. So yeah, no, they, they, Caleb just were,
1: Johnson was was, yes. was running hard. Like they even jazz, I mean, jazz fumbled, but he run, he fumbled yeah. running hard.
0: I mean, I, I, I don't, I'm not bashing players at all, but The quarterback position is the black sucking hole on this offense. It just is. I mean, you cannot, the guy's fumbled 10 times. I mean, you, you can't win games with your quarterback, giving the other team the ball, especially inside the red zone. I mean, you cannot win games. And that to me is just, I mean, I like Deacon Hill. I like his moxie. I like that. He he's a team guy,
1: but I don't know why he can't secure a football. So here's what's encouraging to me is that he's got the mental makeup I think to be a good quarterback. Mm-hmm. He had the he had his team, he had the he, he you know, he won the people, he had the Hoy Poloys supporting him. Um he just needs to figure out some ball security things and it's some fundamental stuff. And going into spring ball, we, it's to be determined who the new quarterback's coach is going to be, but he definitely is a guy who needs to benefit from some footwork practice and some ball are, position are practice. Golf? Yeah,
0: are are we sure he doesn't just like have tiny hands like Donald Trump, like just little tiny pterodactyl hands or something? Because like, it's possible I, I, for a dude that size. I just my brain can't comprehend it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm six two and have small hands. Also, it was, it was the knock on me coming out of high school, Tori, is I have small hands. Uh, I'm just kidding. That was not. No one ever measured my hands to know if I had small hands or not. Uh, but it's it's one of those things where it's possible, um, and, and it's still Cade McNamara's team. You know, if Cade's yeah. knee responds well, um, it's going to be the Cade McNamara team now. Iowa has nothing to hold their heads down about. I think that's the gist of what came out of Saturday. They they took the punches. It took them strongly, um, and I think I I I I think this team beats Tennessee in the Citrus Bowl.
0: Oh, I see that. I i mean, I saw something Some... on Twitter today about, you know, uh, their coach is already, like, begging players to not sit out and this and that.
1: I think they're going to be. Because Iowa in- players aren't sitting out, except for the few that have entered no. the portal already.
0: Yeah. No, I mean that's gonna look a lot I think like Kentucky did last year, where you you, you know, it's gonna be a hobbled team. And I, I and I think Iowa's focused and, and wants to get that eleventh win that they feel that they earned, uh, especially in the Minnesota game.
1: I, I think they wanna give a shout a shot for Brian to leave with a victory. You know, really going do. back to the Brian talk though, Joel, I mean like
0: <sighs> the other thing that kind of frustrated me about the game is I didn't feel like he tried anything different. Like it looked like the same, like, Oh, I'm going to get fancy and do the zero back backfield. Oh, I'm going to run, you know, this little shovel pass. I I just, I I was hoping to see something a little new and different, you know, uh, uh, empty the cupboard because you have nothing to lose, but it, it, it just looked like, every other game this year that that was disappointing to me
1: i i don't disagree i think my interpretation of the tactical part of it was i think they were seeing a lot of man to man defense from michigan they thought they could create some separation and crossing routes um, out of the, the five wide or the, the empty set. And I think that they weren't confident that they could protect five on four. So they were trying to figure out ways to already have guys in a, in a leveraged position to try to have more quick throws to get it out of Deacon's hands. I think that's the, that was my, that was my interpretation of the why it was executed poorly. And it probably they probably went to it a little bit too quickly. They probably should have stayed the course of trying to to just pound the rock a little bit and run the ball. No. But um I mean I I, I do think Iowa's done. defense is the best defense in the country. Um I think Michigan's might be number two.
0: Oh, I, I'm not, I'm not even sure Michigan's is not number one. I mean, statistically they are, and they've played a pretty. I tough will play.
1: never use the article the argument of statistically as my no. justification for why something is the best. No, that's just
0: but me. I mean they're damn good, and the, and they shut out Iowa. So you know that which that's isn't
1: the hardest thing to well, do. No, but.
0: So I, I wanted to go, let, let's kind of looking big picture a little. I, I made what I thought was kind of a uh, a bold statement in my uh, column this week, the Tuesdays with Torby column. Um, I mentioned that I think one thing fans lose sight of with, and I, and I get we're wasting a championship defense, you know, and that's a fair thing I think for people to say, but I think, What people don't realize is that the fact that we have a championship level defense means we're actually closer to being able to compete for one of those top 12 spots and even a Big Ten championship again than a lot of our peers. You know, you've got your Michigans, your Ohio States, your Oregons, your Washingtons. But then when you get to that next tier and you start talking Wisconsin or or Maryland or Iowa, I'm not convinced that Iowa isn't closer to being able to compete at that higher echelon than the others, because we just need to fix this offense and we don't have to make it great. We just have to make it average.
1: Yeah. I mean, because, because the proof of concept is there, as long as Phil Parker's there, the defense is going to be sufficient. And if not, Elite. I mean, and I hate the fact that PJ Fleck has made me like hate using that word now, Um <laughs> but I think that that's that's so if you, if you look at the final college football rankings for the college football playoff, if it ended this way ne- next year, there's four Big Ten teams in the college football playoff. Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, or, uh, no, there's three, sorry. Um, but there would actually be five because you'd have Washington and Oregon in the mix, right. too. So Now, obviously, those records are going to be different because those teams are going to play each other. We're going to have. Yes. So I think what we're going to see with the college football playoff expansion and the conference expansion is, Is you're not going to see five undefeated teams. No, you're going to see you're going to see like the one seed is going to be like the NCAA basketball tournament that's going to have maybe one or two losses. But we can we can collectively say you know this Alabama or Georgia with one loss and Alabama with one loss are are still here on the top line. So they need to be seated somewhere in the top four, top six seeds. So I mean I think it's going to be we see a lot of doom and gloom in the social media sphere and on message boards about how Iowa is going to be a middle tier big 10 team. And they're never going to have a chance at the big 10 championship game again, or anything like that. I think no one is going to have exactly the revolving door, the carousel. I think if, if the conference wasn't expanding and we were going to the 12 team playoff, and they were eliminating the Big Ten West and the Big Ten East, and they just said, let's go back, let's do the Big 12 model and the top two teams play. Without expansion, I think, yes, we would see a 75% uh, return that it's Michigan Ohio State are playing for the Big Ten championship game. But I think with conference expansion, it's going to inject a little bit more parity. It's going to inject more money into these schools, and therefore you're going to have – Players are going to come to play in the Big Ten and they're going to go to play in the SEC. That's just what it's going to be. Um, And now Iowa is not going to draw from Southern California. They're not going to draw from the Pacific Northwest very often. But you know what? We aren't going to do that now anyway. So you might as well just keep your recruiting footprint and then say, hey, why, why are you going to Oklahoma from Missouri or Missouri when you can come play in Iowa City and really compete? At the top because Missouri is about ready to drop down two more runs, even though Drinkowitz has done a great job making it had a great season with them. They finished number nine. But that's not that's not a school that's gonna sustain long-term success with Texas and Oklahoma joining the big twelve the, the SEC. So it's I sound like Paul Feinbaum all of a sudden, but uh <laughs> it's uh you're I think what you're saying is right. I think Iowa's chances of having a four and eight season may have increased a little bit with the big 10 expansion, but I think the chances of going nine and three are still really good. 10 and two are still really good. And I I think nine and three, 10 and two can get you to the college football playoff now. Well, and two points I want to make
0: the university of Iowa football team has gone undefeated in the modern modern area era exactly twice and it was both under kirk ferrets in 2002 and 2015 in the big 10 conference and that's a yeah they didn't play every single team yeah maybe they ducked ohio state in 2002 whatever but at the end of the day they're competitive they're going to win more than they lose and second the the other hidden little thing that no one really talks about is Iowa has a little bit of an advantage by having those three built in permanent rivalries that are winnable games for them every single year. They're going to play Minnesota, Wisconsin and Nebraska. Those are teams that they've demonstrated a, a, a capability against much higher than against Penn State, Ohio State and Michigan. So Iowa's going because of having those three built in on the schedule every year that usually is going to result in ducking one of those other alleged blue bloods. And I, I, you know, I don't think people think of that through all the time either. That's, that's kind of a, a little hidden, hidden piece of a nugget of that favors DIY I think,
1: I think a good parallel and, and, and it's because who, who did Kirk learn to coach under, you know, he learned to coach under Bill Belichick and Hayden Fry, right? And those are two guys who never have thrown the baby out with the bathwater. They just don't do it, which is not what they do. Uh, Hayden Fry came in and built a culture that still is, exists today. As far as come here, do the right thing, maximize your potential, and you'll have success at Iowa. Bill Snyder built the same situation at Kansas State. When Bill Snyder was at Kansas state and the big, big eight, then the big 12, they were always in the top three, top four. They always were. And there's no reason why as long as Iowa can, cannot throw babies out with bathwater and keep some semblance of this infrastructure that's been built. Cause Kirk's not going anywhere. I really believe that Kirk's not going anywhere for at least two or three more years. So you can. This next offensive coordinator hire is important, but I think as long as Phil Parker is there, and as long as the Cohen entrangers of the world are coming through the program, you know, guys who have talent and and great effort, there's going to be opportunities for success. The thing that makes Iowa different from a Penn State is that Iowa fans don't have a grandfather who is telling them about all the national championships that Joe Paterno won Mm -hmm. back when I was, you know, in my forties and fifties. There's no, I mean, outside of my, my, my parents, you know, who like were in their early thirties when Hayden Fry took over there, there wasn't that like there was, there's not that history. I mean, yes, there's the, the, the team, the Forrest Evashevsky teams, but as long as Iowa fans can stay humble and kind of understand our place in this world a little bit and keep supporting, that's the thing is, we, we have to, with NIL growing and becoming more and more important, and I'm not, this isn't the stump speech for the Swarm, we've got to figure out where the big dollars are and figure out how to keep those big dollars invested, not just in the iClub, but also in the Swarm. And or other NIL opportunities, you know, I'm I'm actually like looking around trying to see some of the business people I know. How do we get Jay Higgins a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar, you know, endorsement deal for one more year, just just to be a stopgap. But also we got to I'm also nervous about the, the covid stuff. We can't let our desire to keep a proven entity on campus cause the next best thing to decide that they don't want to sit another year and move on. So it's a delicate balance. and I think these coaches are really looking forward to the extra COVID year being gone because then they can get back to some sort of a normal rhythm as normal as you can have with the transfer portal.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I get what you're saying with the swarm thing, but doesn't part of it make you just feel gross too, or is that just my age showing? So,
1: because... I don't think it's your age showing. Now, my my whole argument with when this when the Ed O'Bannon lawsuit took place was I was not I had just finished college when I think that lawsuit was filed, and it makes some sense to me because I was a I was a collegiate musician and I was compensated with a scholarship to be a collegiate musician. Um, my friends on the football team who had football scholarships had way more rules about getting external compensation than I had And, and uh, as a music student. Whereas on a Saturday night, I could get a gig at a bar. And play or sing or do something using my the the skills that I'm learning at college. I mean, I was making between eight and ten thousand dollars a year singing at funerals, weddings, and just you know random gigs around town and around the Siouxland area. So I was able to use my name, my image, and my likeness based off of the music school that I was attending to be to to take more money as a, as a semi pro you know, while being in college. Athletes were not able to do that. They could not use their name, image, and likeness. And I could see the disparity in that regard. And now I was at a small school where it didn't have as much impact as I know like a larger school was. And I know it would get abused uh, at a large school, but guess what, it was already being abused. So to me, this name, image, and likeness thing has always made sense because for some reason the most valuable students at a on a college campus, we're not able to 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 use any of their value to actually profit from it. You see what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, I mean, and to be clear, I I'm all in favor of of players being able to get paid and to be able to to use their name, image, and likeness. I I object to the wild west nature of boosters with the deepest pockets being able to outbid other teams for players. That was never the intention and that's not how this should work. There needs to be structure in place. And I'm not a a super like regulation kind of guy, but, but you can't have it be the complete wild West. I mean, it's a mockery.
1: Yeah. I just don't think you can regulate it because you, the the tax laws are different in every state that you have all the different
0: well, no, I mean, OK, so we've already basically decided that NCAA is a worthless organization with that is toothless. But I'm saying these power five schools need to get together and and make rules. I mean, there, well, there needs to be some rules around how this works. I mean, a salary cap, for
1: God's sakes. Or well, that's what this that's what the next step professors. is. That's what the next step is. And that's kind of what broke today. We're recording this on Tuesday, December 5th. And I'm not knowledgeable enough to know exactly the ins and outs of what was proposed today. But basically, they're, they're, the, prop, the proposition from the sitting NCAA president was that the FBS schools will have the option to opt in to an alternate tier that would allow universities to distribute NIL dollars directly to, to student athletes essentially making student athletes employees of the university. Now this is where it's going to get really hairy. And this is where I don't want to speak too much in detail. Cause I don't know enough because I don't know a ton about employment law, but I know enough to be dangerous. And I don't know a lot about employment law because it sucks. And I yeah. know that employment law is tricky and this is just adding another layer of institutional bureaucracy at these schools that I don't know how they make it good for the players. The players are going to probably end up forming a players association. So are we going to have college football strikes? Are we going to have, you know, all this stuff? So I don't know, but I, you know, it's going to drive fans away. I'm concerned. It won't drive right. me away because I'm sick, but it, it's going to drive my dad potentially away because that was the whole joy of it was you know their kids playing a game right.
0: Well, you know yeah. what, Joel, I'm not so sure that's not the worst outcome to happen because if the revenues start to dry up, then the insanity starts to get scaled back. So
1: when when was the last time you saw football revenue at the NCAA or NFL level dry up? Well, that's what I'm saying.
0: I that's why I disagree with your notion that it that it's going to drive people away. And as much as I'm not a fan of red tape in bureaucracy, sometimes bureaucracy is needed to rein things in and make sure they're controlled. And I think this is the perfect example of a time when it is.
1: I'd like to introduce my, my new co-hosts, uh, uh, Tory, uh, oh, what's the crazy Tory, Bernie, Tory, Tory Sanders, Bernie Sanders Jr. Here. Uh, hey. No, I'm just kidding. You're not a socialist. Episode Maybe you are, one, we, we talked about the socialism, so you know. That's right. That's right. We had Julian Vanderbilt on on circle about. here with the Big Ten championship. You know, so. I think though that this year there's a lot to be excited about with Iowa football, and I think if you don't like you. If you're listening to this and you're yelling at me saying they wasted a championship defense, Kirk Ferentz is worthless, Brian Ferentz is worthless, I'm not going to change your mind. And I really appreciate you being a part of our show and listening to the show. I'm not sure I'd want any other head coach leading into this craziness that we're about to embark on over the next three years than Kirk Ferentz. And the reason I say that is because even though there is an entity, you know, like the swarm and I know there's some other collectives there's some other actors in the NIL space at the end of the day, Kirk coaches the people and the people follow Kirk. And uh, it's one of the reasons like the portal opened up yesterday and everything's crazy. And I said to my buddy on Sunday, I said, here's my attitude on the portal. If they enter it, Fuck them. Fine. Mm -hmm. See ya. I'm not going to shed a tear over you. I'm not going to blame the coaches. I'm not going to say we can't recover from that loss because if you don't want to be here, be gone. That's, that's, that's just my mentality. And what the portal taketh away, junior college and the portal can give us and how many great high school football players are out there right now, not getting a chance because they're a three-star and a team like Nebraska, a team like uh, Texas a and a team like um, Kansas, you know, or Michigan State that's got Matt Ishbia money, you know, teams like that who used to build their program with three-star kids out of high school, they'd redshirt them, and then all of a sudden they're junior, they blossom just like Iowa does. Uh, those kids are not getting recruited anymore by Division one football schools. They're being told, go to the MAC go to the Sunbelt, go to, you know, uh, HBCU for a year, play well there, and then we'll find you next year in the portal. That's happening. At a place like Iowa, if that's happening, all of a sudden now on January 3rd or whatever signing day is now, I know it's all changed so much, February 3rd, whatever it is, but... Uh, those kids might get that phone call the night before and say, Hey, you know what? We've been watching you. Come, come now, come to us. Now, Joe, the Josie jewels of the world, you know, there may be a player like George Kittle, all these guys signing day, Eve uh, offers. And I I think that's where the portal could actually help Iowa because if they stick to some of their guns, you know, and, and truly still be a developmental program, you can fill some, some bleeding arteries with the portal, but you still can build your foundation with really solid sound high school football players.
0: No, I I actually think Iowa is a, a, a very good position program to benefit from the portal. Um, They're not, one of the elite blue bloods, like the Alabamas, Ohio States, Michigans of the world, that are going to have to get into these massive bidding wars. We're not going to do that, so that's
1: not going to happen. Well, shit, we I are, would oh, look at Ohio State? They're eleven and one, and they just lost their quarterback to the transfer yeah. portal. He's not playing in the bowl game. Like, right?
0: They might get somebody even better. We don't we because they'll have a billion dollars to give him. But but where I think Iowa is positioned really well is we're a great landing spot for guys like. Caleb Johnson, or I mean uh, Caleb Brown, who was a five star recruit, went to Ohio State, got o- over recruited or maybe didn't, you know, shine fast enough for them. So he comes. Hey, Iowa is a Big Ten contender. They're a top twenty-five team. I can go there and and actually show those guys. And Iowa is a great landing place for the guys from Miami of Ohio or Northern Illinois or a Rusty Feth. You know, a guy that, you know, man, I'm like a superstar in the MAC. I think I can play in the Big Ten. And then they go to Iowa. So I think Iowa is perfectly positioned to 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 bring up people from the MAC, the Sun Belt, the Mountain West to also take those four and five star recruits, the Cade McNamara's, the Caleb Brown's, the guys that get overlooked at the big blue bloods or get over recruited and bring them here and then have a great, and then the the thumb becomes better than the parts, right? I mean, that's the Iowa way. No, I, I like it. I think we're we're positioned well.
1: So and the tricky part is, is you still have the 85 scholarship rules. So that's, yeah. that's also the hard part. And we saw maybe a victim of that today with uh Rodney Filer's son Jackson entering the transfer portal after being the junior college defensive player of the year last year at Iowa Western. And that was really ho- I had high hopes for Jackson, but I think he's kind of a tweener body-wise. Um and, and guys want to
0: play. And I'm never yeah, I'm never yeah. gonna get mad at a guy wanting to play.
1: And he, and he but that's that's a that's a mover that doesn't affect the scholarship chart because yep. he wasn't on scholarship. So but so I, I kind of did an exercise today. And I posted it on the On3 board where I looked at the de- the scholarship distribution chart. Someone asked, who would you be comfortable <laughs> or okay with transferring? And I had to go all caps. And I wasn't yelling at the poster who questioned me <laughs> on that. I just wanted people to understand what where I was coming from. So my gut is Cooper Dejean is going to the NFL. So I, I I took him off the list in theory. So that puts us at, I think, 82 scholarships. Um, I think Lachey's 50, 50. Um, I also talked to some of my NFL personnel friends this weekend. Um, they love him. They really love him. I mean, he's NFL body. His injury doesn't scare him. I think he's going to be healthy enough to, to go to the, to the combine. And I think he'll get an invite, um, based off of the pedigree that is Iowa tight ends. Um, here's the thing. Sammy Laporta is making a shit ton of money for himself and other Iowa tight ends this year. Yeah, Like there's going to be some residual effect of of his season. Um, So I think Lachey is 50 50. I think he's, I think he should go. That's my, my advice to him. If he asked me would be, he should go to the NFL. Um, I think Higgins is coming back. That's my gut.
0: That would be so fun.
1: I think Higgins is coming back.
0: And we get Roy back on the podcast
1: next year, though. Yeah, there we go. I think YA Black is coming back for another year. Um, I know he's a potential early entry. Um, I don't I think he could use another year. Um, I think he will be dominant next year. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would be totally cool if Drew Stevens transferred. Kickers, we can find you anywhere. I'm sorry, you can find kickers anywhere. We found <laughs> Drew. We found Drew. He was a no, nobody from and that's harsh. He's not a nobody. Drew Stevens has done things in an Iowa uniform. that have been very important, but I will never weep over a kicker transferring. Um, you have spoken like a true offensive lineman. I'm a special teams coordinator too. So I have, uh, it sounds like Griffin little might be medically retiring, which is a shame because I watched him all through high school. He's a good player. Um, Who knows what's up with Ms. Linsky. Uh, But I drew some controversy when I said I would not, I would be okay if Logan Jones transferred. I know he's not going anywhere. Logan's a good kid. Like, it's fine. But I'm just saying, if you ask me objectively, who on this list would I not weep over? And it's simply because Tyler Ellsbury proved he can play. He can play the position. So no one's irreplaceable. Except for maybe Tyler Linderbaum and Tristan Wirfs, uh in, in the recent generations.
0: So, have that's right. I learned, I'm though, at. that at Iowa you can never have too many offensive linemen.
1: Well, and this is where I'm at, though. You've got Locke, Jones, Peeper, and Cannon Leonard in this redshirt freshman, excuse me, redshirt freshman class that people have raved about in the scout team. Like they, at, at one point in the years, one of the coaches said that this is the best scout team offensive line they've ever had. So, could that be some puffery for us to get you know jazzed up for the future? But yeah, but I mean, Cannon Leonard six eight, like three eight, three twenty. Like, there's some huge guys in this Redshirt freshman class. So let's see what they can do. Jack Dotzler got the money. You body. know what that
0: also tells me?
1: Perfect. They're ready for the Paul Christ
0: offense. Are we still doubling down on Paul Christ? I want him. The more Baker, I think, of it, the more Baker I think
1: it's going to be Andy Ludwig. Baker thinks
0: it's Andy. Ludwig. I take that. I mean, that's, that's not bad. As long as it's not an internal hire that makes everybody want to murder the coaching staff that I that, think they, they, they're not going to do that. Right.
1: So Matt drinkle is a name that's also come up on the boards. Um, I know Matt a little bit. Uh, I'm not going to say I know Matt well, but I know him a little bit. Um, he's a Bettendorf guy. He went to Iowa, was a student coach on the 2002 team. Uh, and then he went on to coach at Bettendorf. He was one of Pat Anger's high school coaches. Um, he was a coach on that, that state championship team. Then he goes to Ambrose where he runs really good offenses at St. Ambrose. Um, and then he becomes a head coach at age like 28 at Kansas Wesleyan an NAIA school who was terrible, terrible and builds them into a playoff team. I think he's only lost like eight game or like 18 games as a head coach. Um, at Kansas Wesleyan, and, and then he goes to Army, where he's the co-offensive coordinator. And everywhere he's been, they run like a power spread option attack. So, and he and he's coached offensive line, tight ends, and quarterbacks, um, at, and receivers. He was he was a, a receivers student assistant, I think, in 2002 for the Hawks. So, I mean, there's guys out there who I think would be a shock to some people similar to 25 years ago when they hired this offensive line coach from the Baltimore Ravens to be a head coach. Um, And I'm not, I think it's important to have somebody who understands the culture that is Iowa. Um, And that's the more I think about Matt, I think here's a guy who's 44, 45 years old um, knows guys knows everybody, you know, is from down the road. But has lived other places, has seen the world a little bit, you know. And coming from army, you know what? What good coaches have ever come out of the, the out of army? I mean, who's this Shushetsky guy? Was he Bob okay? Bob Knight. Bob Noel. Well, I try not to think about Bob Knight too much, but uh, uh <laughs> I mean, there's lots. Of, there's there's a lot of benefit from teaching and coaching at those academies. That I think would sit well with the Iowa fan base and sit well with the Iowa culture. So, you know what you uh, know what I
0: think is important, though, Joel. Here's what I think is important: it needs to be somebody, and, and you kind of put you kind of touched on it. Somebody from the outside, at least a little. Yeah, I want them to know what Iowa is about. I want them to be able to fit into that Iowa culture. But I, we need somebody that's not so insulated. I honestly think that's one of Ference's biggest faults. It's also one of his best attributes. It's that loyalty that, that, that Arthur Miller focus, right. But, but everyone, but you need to have somebody. Sometimes you can't be surrounded by yes, men. You need somebody to go, Hey dude, no. Arthur Miller would call
1: Arthur Miller would call that a tragic flaw. Uh, where it's what makes you great, but it ultimately could end up being your demise. I mean, it's the whole Willie Loman effect. But I think we all can agree that the Frank Broyles uh, award winner for 2023, Phil Parker, is anything but a yes man, if you've ever Uh, had a conversation. So I think think there is a pretty good culture of... Kirk, no, coming from some of those guys. Um, Yeah,
0: no, and that's why I always think it's so crazy when you see people making these arguments that, oh, it doesn't even matter who the offensive coordinator is. Kirk's not going to listen to him. Uh, That's not what he does. And that's that's where I actually, you know how I've not had a big deal with the whole frickin' (laughs) – Thing about nepotism. But that is the one area where I will say maybe that was the downfall of nepotism is that I think Brian probably was kind of a, okay, okay, dad, okay, whatever. We need somebody that that's his own freaking person in there to be well, like, Kirk, this is how it's got to be done. You're being stubborn and
1: wrong. Well, based off of my lip reading skills, we know that Brian's not afraid to call an official a cocksucker. <laughs> um, which which is awesome, because man, was that that was fun. I'm glad he got that penalty one last hurrah. Um, but excuse me, uh, we've got. I'm just curious to see what the timing of that hire is going to be because the portal, all this stuff has changed how you have to handle that stuff. Um, I'm curious to see if there'll be any other movement. Um, if you've got. Um, I don't
0: think it's got to be post bowl, though, right? I mean, like he's not gonna—he's not gonna upstage Brian before the bowl game.
1: It depends on who you're competing with for a candidate. I think. Oh, I think it might be a done deal,
0: but it's not gonna be public until post bowl game.
1: If it's a done deal, then it'll be post bowl game. But if there's somebody out there that maybe a who just fired their offensive coordinator, I'm just trying to think of somebody. Um, let, let's just say school X, uh, Virginia fire, loses their defense coordinator or fires their defensive coordinator. You know, that might be a school that, or that kind of school might be just looking for the same type uh, of coach. Now, if it's a sitting OC, like say an Andy Ludwig right now, because of, you know, Kyle Winningham and Kirk Ference, the kind of generation that they are, I can see Kirk saying, finish the season. You coach your guys through the bowl game yeah. and, 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 and Kyle saying, you know what? I, I appreciate that. You're, you know, you, you're going, I, I have respect for Kirk, whatever. Okay. Yeah. He wants you to finish. You can finish. So that that may be a situation like that. Now, if it's somebody like a splash, then maybe, maybe it could, you know, hit here before, maybe when Cliff Kingsbury is announced next week as the uh, offense coordinator uh, uh, at the, uh, the university of Iowa, no, I'm kidding. And he's bringing Caleb Williams back. Cause yeah. he doesn't want to play for the bears. So he's going right. to transfer. And, go. I'm just joking. Uh, how about that? He's sitting out the bowl game. Caleb is a uh, shocker. Um, what would you rather have that elite quarterback who, if you're not playing for the national championship, uh, sits out the bowl game to prep for the draft or would you rather have their pretty good quarterback who's a fifth or sixth round draft pick and needs the bowl game to to boost his draft stock? What do you, what would you rather have?
0: Oh, that is such a loaded question because of my general feelings about bowl games and the playoff. I mean, <laughs> In modern college football, the right answer is you want Caleb Williams and you want to take your shot. And if you don't get it, he sits out a meaningless bowl game. Fine. But I will say I'm of the generation where the bowl games are actually cool and meant something. And so, yeah, I personally would love to see my team's quarterback play in the bowl game and kick ass. So um, that's my answer. (laughs) Yeah, I let, let, let me ask you this before we, we're we're get we're we're closing in on an hour, so we're probably not gonna go too much longer. But no, let me ask no. you this, Joel. You're you're significantly like fifteen, I think, years younger than me. Be forty-two next week. So Okay, so you're ten years younger than me. That's not so bad. But still, you know, we're in two different generations. You know, I grew up in a big ten town, Madison, uh went to Iowa where going to and winning the Rose Bowl was basically the best sporting outcome that your football team could ever achieve ever. Like, it, it, it maybe you win a national championship because people voted for you and liked it. But let me ask you this. Would this upcoming January not be better if we had Michigan against Washington in the Rose Bowl? And you had Florida State against Alabama, maybe in the Orange Bowl. And you have got Georgia against Texas in the Cotton Bowl. And all these bowls are being played. And then everybody has to, they all mean something. They're all huge. And then everybody gets to argue at the end of the season, which college football fans love to do about who the real quote unquote national champion is. Is that was that not better? Was that not more fun? Was that not just a better way to experience the sport of college football than this ESPN Big Ten SEC bullshit made for television special that we're gonna have to watch?
1: Well, one created the other. The 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 sitting around and debating who the national championship national champion is is it the 1991 notre dame team or is it the 1991 whatever other team it was uh the washington steve entman mark brunell team that beat iowa in the rose bowl um that system created where we're at today because people got tired arguing about it and they said let's decide it on the field so they they went to the bcs system and that was much maligned And now then they went to the college football playoff system, which it was so exciting because third team quarterback Cardale Jones wins a national title for Ohio state as the four seed. And third
0: string quarterbacks, second string quarterbacks. They can't, they can't play in the college
1: football. Well, no, that's where I'm going. I'm going see that. (laughs) That's so then that system has now evolved to today where, well, we just got to get the best teams. If your best best. spokesperson, uh, (laughs) as the accent of the team that controversially got in, it's a bad thing. So maybe put somebody else who doesn't sound like the people who got in uh, in front of the camera. But Florida State got screwed, but you know what? Florida State probably screwed somebody else along the way, you know, between 1990 and 2023. So I think that there's a, a Zoroastrian balance, a scale where good deeds will come back to balance in your, or against your bad deeds uh, throughout the years. Um, and I think that that's why, they should have expanded to a 16 playoff two years ago to see if we would have had still the same controversies. Cause I think a 16 playoff is, or an 18 playoff, no six. They're the top two seeds get a buy. And I think you should, you, if you had done that, you would have bought yourself some time to figure out if you really wanted to go to the full 12. Um, because I think full, I think 12 is going to be too many. Then people are going to think it dilutes the product. Um, I, so, love the right. bowls. I love I, the bulls. I love the bulls though, too. But I, well, okay. I think that the playoff system is a product of people being tired of people complaining and saying there wasn't a true champion or here's the AP champion. And here's the coaches champion.
0: So, so I a hundred percent agree with everything you just said. You're right. And you know, you got to do some fun math and you know how much I love math, but you never answered my fundamental question.
1: Look at what? you journalism boy. <sighs> Which
0: weekend of sitting on your ass, eating wings and drinking beer and watching football is more fun for you? The one I laid out first or Dr. Pepper sponsors the Rose Bowl semi-professionals?
1: Final four, blah, blah, blah. like. Well, you just added of- several words there that are not that are your that are your opinion and not what would I'm actual factually be broadcasted. I'm fairly segment. passionate about this subject. So which here's the thing: my, the greatest day before. of my adolescence was going to Greg Velasquez's house. Uh, Greg, thanks for listening, uh, who's the biggest Notre Dame fan in the world, one of the biggest reasons why I effing hate Notre Dame, uh, but he's a groomsman in my wedding, one of my best friends. Going to his house, we would all bring our own TV. Like, I would bring my 13-inch VCR built into TV, and we would set up TVs around the big TVs. So the feature game was usually like – A big game, but then we're watching the car quest Jiffy Lou bowl on one TV and we're watching. So New Year's Day, we're watching every game. We're watching every game through a big cable splitter and watching a bunch of these different games. So I love those days, but you can still have that day. January 1st still has, I think, seven bowl games. So. I don't see here's the thing. Growing Where everybody's up. Everybody's sitting out and just nobody second, cares. But just a second. I yeah, but I don't care. I'll watch fucking football. I watch Maction on Tuesday night, which nobody cares about those guys, because I think this is just what I am. You ask the question, here's what my answer is. Uh and I'm not pissed. I sound pissed, but I'm not. Uh the well, I am. So <laughs> the, the the games, the games are what are fun to watch. I like watching plays. I don't. I don't care so much for what's the narrative afterwards. I want to watch a big number sixty-eight right guard pull and bend the face mask of a defensive end for Mississippi State. I just want to see it. I want to see teams I don't get to watch all the time because they're not they're because they play a lot during when Iowa is playing. So I guess that's where I'm at on bowl games. But when it came to like as a kid my expectation was never to win a national championship as an Iowa fan. Would I have loved to have seen the day that it happened? Yeah. But my expectation was always be, can we get to the Rose bowl? Can we win a big 10 championship? So, but the Rose bowl died a long time ago. Um, And now it's really died with the PAC 12 not existing anymore. So, uh, (laughs) but now it's like, can I go to the Rose bowl when Iowa plays UCLA? We kind of want to like, you just got to shift. My opinion is I'm just going to shift what's important to me. And for me, what's important is Iowa winning as many games as they can and seeing if they can get a chance to play for a title, because there was a time, there was a time where Iowa wasn't this elite wrestling program. Dan Gable shows up and they started winning NCAA tournaments. If Iowa can find a way to consistently make the college football playoff, then they're going to be a destination school for good players and that's what Iowa needs to strive to be continue to be competitive continue to be a destination for good players and and if you if you if you grow smartly you can be competitive for a long time and that's that's why the next offensive coordinator hire is so important and that's why the next head coaching hire in the next 4 to 6 years is going to be so important because Iowa's not a rapid growth state. It's just not what we are. And Matt Campbell realizes that at Iowa State. Iowa State has an advantage of Matt Campbell being 47 years old. Iowa needs to figure out that that next coach can adapt to that same consistent, not slow, consistent growth mentality so they can stay competitive (laughs) long-term.
0: Well, I guess I'm going to bring this back full, full, full circle to the whole socialism thing one more time, Joel. And that I guess what I lament most, and I'm not the kind of person to fear change. I like change, embrace change. You know, I'm usually good about that. And so I'm not trying to be like cheesy and nostalgic about the bulls and all that. But I really believe that it was more rewarding for fan bases that you had... Maybe 8, 10, 12 or more fan bases that ended a season on an up note and kind of happy about, you know, they went out and their team won the Peach Bowl or the Orange Bowl or the Rose Bowl or whatever. Maybe they weren't voted number one, but, you know, by God, they had a great season. They won 11 games and then they won their bowl. And so everybody goes home happy. But we've turned into a zero sum game where one team gets to be happy and everybody else is a fail. And I just don't like that. And I'll tell you, and this, uh, this is going to make people pull their hair out if anybody's still listening at this point. It What I like about European soccer is that they have, like, different things they play for. There is a domestic tournament. There's the Europa League. There's the Champions League. And then there's your whatever, your Premier League. If you can finish in the top four, then you win this. So, like... You have multiple options for based on what your team is, if they're not one of the rich, wonderful teams, or you avoid relegation, and that's something you celebrate. I guess I like the notion where, as a fan base, you get to celebrate something that you accomplished because of your hard work and what you did. People shit on Iowa for being a team that can only win eight to ten games every year and never wins a big championship. It's hard. Why shouldn't we celebrate it? And I guess that's what is missing. That's what I liked about the old bowl system is that you got rewarded by being a really, really good team that did the best it could with what it had and won its bowl game, got a trophy. Everybody goes home happy. Everybody wins 11 games, but now it's like, oh no, you suck. You didn't make the college football playoff. You're a piece of shit. You have to go to the orange bowl and play Georgia. And nobody cares. <laughs>
1: that's dumb. Well, it's the most American thing ever. The yeah. zero-sum game is America. Like we don't—if you—if you, it's it's win or bust, and you know that's where maturity. I I, I can't believe I'm so much like my dad. Um, I used to just be pissed for weeks when Iowa would lose a game that they shouldn't have. Now as a parent, I'm like, I can't do that or else I'm going to ruin the lives of four other people in my household. And so I think that that's where my balance comes. But we were tired of having a bunch of moral victories at the end of the season as a college football whole, as fans of college football. Um, Plus... It makes a podcast pretty boring if we're all like if I if if Paul Feinbaum wakes up tomorrow and says well you know what george is going to have a chance to win their bowl game and it's going to be a pretty damn good season for them no one wants to hear that they want to hear Florida State but it wasn't bowl. like that
0: Joel it was the fight over the you still had the fight and the argument
1: no you had me he- just being like who the fuck is Beano Cook and why do people listen to this <laughs> ass clown I mean great Notre Dame Ooh, tell me more about Greg Paulus Greg Paulus was an ass clown so I'm just saying that that's the thing is i i think it actually bred more animosity but it it was regional animosity so i guess that's what makes
0: college football so awesome regional
1: animosity rivalries hate your neighbor that's why college football is the best so it's the whole hate your neighbor but hey you out there in california you can't say shit about my neighbor exactly and
0: then at the end of the year everybody gets to like puff themselves up and be like all right bitch who is the king of the block that was so much better. I, I will go to my grave. I'm not saying it wasn't better,
1: but I'm just saying better. it's never happening again. Of course it's not. And that's why we're lamenting it now. You are lamenting it now. I am choosing to embrace the, royal the we.
0: Joel, the royal we, which is like right-thinking people worldwide.
1: You calling me a leftist? No, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> uh, I'm just, I just love playing word games and just being that, that antagonist. I think I was actually in a better position with a 12 team playoffs than they were in the old system. I do too, actually. So we agree that the football season was a success. The basketball team is going to find their way. I have confidence. Um, Fun to watch. I just think that the big 10 officiating is bad. And for some reason they have it out against Kirk Ferentz now. And well, he kind of brought it upon himself. Good for him, though. It's about time.
0: No, like, no I like it. He's from Philadelphia. That's what cracked me up. He's from Pittsburgh. Like, he's from
1: fucking Pittsburgh. All right, but he played in Fran, Philadelphia. He's Fran got that is from Phil- No, Fran is from Philadelphia. Kirk is from Pittsburgh. Oh, yeah. I'm talking about Fran. Oh, I thought you were talking about Kirk. Sorry.
0: No, yeah. Fran's a Philly guy. And that's why yeah, when everybody's 100%. like, I don't understand why he is the way he is. I'm like, have you ever met anybody from Philly? Like, he's pretty low-key, yeah. actually.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and he's smart as hell, and the guys yes, love him. um I know, a lot, I know. I I've been around two of his former players a lot in my life, and uh, the guy's fair. You know, Zach McCabe told me one time he's like, he chews our ass, but it's never personal. It's never personal. It's always about how can we fix it and what can we do that's different. Um, so is and-
0: is this a lead up, Joel? Are you are you dropping a hint here?
1: Dropping what hint? We're going to be talking about, more hoops? About a future guest and hoops? Yeah, I'll drop I, I don't know when we're going to get him on, but we've confirmed. Jess Settles is going to come on the uh, the 12 Saturdays podcast. Uh, or as George Kittle's cousin, as I like to call him. Yeah. Um, what about, a farmer I, uh, down in your, want, your way. Uh, we'll talk Hawkeye hoops with Jess when he comes on. And uh, also, I don't know if we're gonna get him on just because he just became a new dad last week. Joe Weescamp and Mackenzie Weescamp, Meyer Weescamp, had a baby boy last week. So, oh, congratulations, congratulations to the Weescamps, and we'll see if that's the next. But eighteen years, if there's a if there's a Hawkeye Hooper.
0: Side. Well, hey, when he's up feeding that baby at three o'clock in the morning and has nothing else to do, I got into Australian rules football. He could come on the Twelve race
1: podcast. We'll see. I'll see if he could, if he'll come on. He's also playing for the Dallas G League team right now. So he's a busy guy. So, well, all right, Joel, should we land this plane? Planes landed, take us home country. All
0: right. Well, the Big Ten championship didn't end the way we wanted, but we still say on Iowa, go Hawks.